Welcome to another sermon podcast from All Souls Anglican Church, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thanks for joining us as we study God's Word together. These weekly sermons are part of the teaching ministry of our church. Have your Bible ready as we begin this week's sermon. And stay tuned when we finish at the end to find out more about us. This is the 30th sermon in our sermon series on the revelation of Jesus Christ to St. John. And our text this evening is Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. That's page 1040 in your pew Bible. We've now reached the conclusion of the cycle of visions in which the last of the villains of the counterfeit trinity have left the stage forever. The beast and its paramour, Babylon, the false prophet, the dragon, Satan himself, have all been thrown into the lake of fire. The puppet rulers by which the counterfeit trinity tried to intimidate, deceive, even destroy the church, lay slain the food for carrion bird. But what then of the ultimate spiritual fate of these human rulers, their troops, and the countless rebellious populations of the earth. This is what we consider now in John's vision. It's their final appearance at what could be called the heavenly assizes of the Lamb of God, before which both the saint and the sinner will stand. But we learned last time of our Heavenly Father's loving provision for his children, the ones who have endured the onslaught of the minions of the counterfeit trinity, the believers who have endured through the ages, the believers who suffered martyrdom for not worshiping the beast, all these upon bodily death receive the gift of the first resurrection. They are caught up immediately in the living presence of God and of Christ. The souls of believers both are living and triumphant because of their union in Christ and victory in his blood. This first resurrection refers to the eternal spiritual life of the martyr and the Christian believer who reign with him now. Believers who are free from the second terrible spiritual death, the the eternal death, the ultimate judgment of the great white throne. Heaven's assertion and believers' enjoyment of their triumph is not simply postponed until the second bodily resurrection at the end of the age. No, they enjoy victory even at the moment of their death. God immediately, lovingly places them in positions of authority and judgment in the heavenly realms. Now for all of us, I'm sure, who must all pass through death, there is a great stabilizing message here for us that all those who may have harassed us or persecuted us through the years, they're already beaten 
Indeed, if they bring us to death itself in martyrdom, they have only hastened the ushering in of the saints so that they could exercise authority from the throne of God himself. So this vision answers that wonderful pastoral question. Times of intense persecution and trial, the Christian believer weak and failing in the minority, is there any hope for me? Is there any hope for us in victory? The persecutors, they seem to prosper. They're alive and well, but we stagger and fall. Is God truly looking out for us? Is he in control? Well, here we have our answer. The tables are turned. It's impossible to defeat Christian believers, even as the demonic forces rage against us. They're only further establishing us in positions of real and permanent authority. So the believers experience this first resurrection, which frees us from the terrible second death to come. We enjoy privileges as priests who worship in God's presence, as kings who share in Christ's rule while we wait the second bodily resurrection at the Lamb's return and victory. So it is to this, this this second bodily resurrection that we now turn to in our text this evening. Because verses 11 through 15 give us more detail of this final triumph of God's justice toward those who rebel and grace toward those who believe and trust. Now we heard this already in our study of Revelation way back in chapter 11. Verse 18, the song of thanksgiving of the 24 elders at the sound of the last trumpet, the seventh trumpet. Listen to these words again. This is what they sing. The time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. We can see here already, can't we, the, the elders' song anticipating for us this, this twofold track, this ultimate moment of justice. God's prophets and saints receive the fullness of God's blessing at last. But those who destroy the earth with their wickedness will themselves be destroyed. So Revelation chapter 20, 11 through 15, takes up the conclusion of this song, expands this most sobering theme. And so, once again, just as he did at the start of his journey, the Apostle John, in his vision, when he was first called up to heaven in the Spirit, once again, in the Spirit, John sees God's throne and him who was seated on it. Notice the throne is white, a color that we've seen in Revelation, which may symbolize purity, vindication, even victory. This is the heavenly courtroom or the assizes 
with its echoes of Daniel chapter 7, as we heard Alina read to us this evening. Now, one can suggest many things for the whiteness of the throne. I think the most likely is the whiteness of the garment and the hair of the presiding judge, Daniel's Ancient of Days. It is this glory that is reflected in the purity, the clear crystal of the throne upon which the Ancient of Days sits. So let's consider the judge on his throne. Now notice the one who sits on the great white throne is visible as a man. This is the Lord Jesus, who now sits according to his human nature on the throne as Lord of the universe. Because our Savior's human nature was not dissolved or lost at his resurrection and ascension, we see here it before us now. The, the, the justness of his judgment is underlined here. Now, what do I mean by that? In other words, no one will be able to say on that day, well, this judge does not know what it is like to be a human being, to have lived on the earth as I have. This judge is out of touch. There is no justice here. No one will be able to say that, my dear friends, because our Savior Jesus Christ became a human being for us. It is he, the one who will judge us. As Hebrews 4.15 tells us, he took our nature on himself, was touched by our infirmities, was tempted in every point as we are, yet without sin. Indeed, the fact that he will judge his people to judge us must comfort us. And we can track the blessing of the first resurrection to this moment. This is how Calvin wrote it. It is no inconsiderable security that we shall stand before no other tribunal at all except the one of our Redeemer. John also describes the judge seated upon a throne that is great. So let's do a closer reading of the nature of this throne. First in Scripture, a throne speaks of great judgment. In Psalm 9 we read, He hath prepared his throne for a specific reason, for judgment. In courts of law, places are prepared for the judge and for the accused. And though you and I may not be ready, God's throne will be fully prepared for judgment. We must all appear before it according to his appointment. This throne also speaks of great authority. The second person of the Trinity, clothed with our nature, will be visible to all. Notice also how John writes of the awesome judge in verse 11. I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, and from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. 
In other words, John is summing up for us the full extent of the overturning of the old creation that we have marked time and time again in the previous cycles of John's visions. Earlier visions, like the sixth seal, the vindication of the two witnesses, the seventh bowl, all describe this phenomenon, the unraveling of the created order in terms of earthquake, never before witnessed in all of human history. The overturn of mountains, islands being propelled out of their foundations in the oceans, the great cities shattered to dust, the sun and moon plunged into darkness, stars fall to the earth, splitting the sky apart like a scroll that is rolled up. There is almost a near personification, if you will, of the old first heaven and earth that fly from the presence of this holy judge, pointing to the fact that it is defiled. It flees away, tainted by sin and fallenness. We saw this, didn't we? In that first vision, the cosmic shattering of creation and how then sinful humanity gave voice to this voiceless reality to hide from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now the whole first creation flees away. It disappears in an instant. All those first things are gone. Those things that were introduced by sin and rebellion in the dragon and those deceived by him, all has passed away, death, mourning, crying, and pain. But what of those judged before the throne? That comes next. Verse 12, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged, but what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Now notice the nature of the pairings here, this pairing of great and small. This is the opposite that I just read to you from the elder song, where there the faithful servants of God are called the small and the great. In other words, all are standing here. We see it in the fact that in this ultimate judgment, there are two books as well. That also shows us that all stand there, both the unconverted and the converted believer. The book that records each person's thoughts and actions. And then there is another book, the book of life. Here is where all persons who have lived upon the earth shall appear before the tribunal of Christ to give an account of their thoughts, words, and deeds, and to receive according to what they have done in the body, 
whether good or evil. But what are we to make then of these locational references, sea, death, and Hades? Well, here they are symbolic, as we've come to learn in Revelation. The sea and death and Hades are symbolic references to the realms of the dead. Its purpose is not to indicate to us the nature of their repose after death of that rebellious sinner before the second resurrection, but rather it has a more nuanced understanding. It brings comfort to the believer that in Christ, now that sin is no more, that crying and pain are no more, tear has been wiped away. The realms of the dead, death, Hades, are useless. They are empty, no longer required. They are no more, and therefore thrown into the lake of fire in verse 14. So we can see here that the Christian believer will not escape God's perfect scrutiny, but, and it's a big but, the sins of believers reviewed on that terrible day will only be done immersed in the wider reality of God's amazing grace and to his greater glory. We will be evidence of his glorious work in us, bringing us from where we were, dead in our trespasses and sins, and now living, reflecting the glory of our Savior. We will not be condemned, but we will be present. We see here simply that one cannot say, I am saved and can live the life that I want to. That certainly isn't true. But John continues his description with a focus on the unbelieving dead. That we, as evidences of God's glorious work in us will also be witnesses along with the heavenly host. Understanding this truth must surely bring us a motivation to share the gospel to those who may indeed stand before this ultimate tribunal of the Lord Jesus Christ, the certainty of judgment, the terrible authority of the Lord himself, so that even the old creation disintegrates in his presence? Surely, my dear friends, it must urge us to pray all the more that their hearts may be changed to hear the gospel of Christ. But we also must consider the judgment that comes from the throne. Notice the books were opened. This is a direct allusion to the courtroom in Daniel 7 that we heard. After the thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took the throne of honor as the supreme judge, in Daniel 7, verse 10, the court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. The open book contains the account of each person because they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. In other words, this book 
is symbolic of God's perfect memory. That means that all that you and I have ever thought, said, or done is not forgotten. Now, when you get to a certain vintage like I have done, you know that you forget things over time. So we might find it difficult to believe that God does not forget one single thing. But it is nothing for a God whose nature is perfect to remember all thoughts, words, and deeds of my life and of yours. On that day, the book of God's memory of your life will be opened. This is how our Savior said it in Luke chapter 12. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Throughout scripture, we have seen how God's justice is shown in repaying his creatures according to what they have done. In Revelation, this becomes a particular focus of God giving blood as a beverage for those who thirsted after the blood of his saints. We saw in Revelation 18 how the repayment to the harlot Babylon is a judgment that duplicates her iniquities. And so the key in the judgment from the throne is not the book that records God's memory, but rather this other book, the book of life. Written in this book are not deeds, but names. When this book first appeared in 17, verse 8, we learn this, that the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, and that the book and its names belong to the lamb that was slain. In other words, it is the register of those from every nation whom he purchased for God with his blood. And it is the one book in the old universe that spells the difference between eternal life or unending spiritual death. While people are justly judged according to their deeds, only those inscribed in this book, the Lamb's Book of Life, will escape the lake of fire. Now, why is that? Because they have been judged already according to their substitute, according to the deeds of Jesus. His perfect obedience is imputed to you and me, and his blessing becomes ours in the same way that our sin was imputed to him on the cross. He suffered and endured the eternal death that the lake of fire attempts to describe for us as he hung there 
on that dark day. Therefore, our vindication is certain. Injustice and suffering never escapes God's eye. Therefore, those who persecute and those who practice injustice can never win. He will judge every deed. All wrongs will be righted. All attempts to dethrone God and enthrone oneself will be frustrated. The prospect, my dear friends, of the great white throne ought to be terror to God's enemies and the immovable foundation of assurance for his saints, all those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about us by going to our website, allsoulsnj.org. There, you can support our mission by making a one-time donation or starting a podcast member subscription by clicking the Support the Show link under the Contact Us tab. You can also support us in prayer by clicking the Email Newsletter tab at the top. All Souls Anglican Church. Simple Church. Ancient Truth. Real People. New Life.